So hello to all, welcome to our another of our niche talks episode. I'm very excited for this one because um, it's about crocodiles, and and I have never seen a wild crocodile myself, but I've seen one from far, and I've seen many from far, and so you know crocodiles are animals that most of us will think of. Okay, what are they about? They look scary. They're killers, but there could be something beyond that that we don't know. So today I'm speaking up with the Crocodile Research Coalition with Dr. Marisa Tellers and Ellie Coleman. So before we begin, uh, Dr. Marisa and Ellie, can you please uh, introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Dr. Marisa Tellers. I am the founder and executive director of the Crocodile Research Coalition. And I have been studying crocodiles now for about 15, 16 years. And I am originally from Los Angeles, California, United States. There are no crocodiles there, but I've always had a passion for apex predators. And I fell in love with crocodiles when I was about 15 years old and just kind of took the steps to eventually move here to Belize. And now I'm working with crocodiles 24 seven. So it's a dream come true. And um, I'm Ellie Coleman, so I joined the Crocodile Research Coalition in December. My background is more sort of ecology and general community ecology, so I joined as the community ecology intern, and I run the kind of biodiversity surveys that we have in where we are right now at the Placentia Lagoon. So everything from birds to mammals, camera trapping, um, and some crocodile stuff as well. That's extraordinary. Very, it's, it's a great pleasure to have you all here today. And um, I'm very excited for this, to be honest. And uh, it's despite you not thinking of us, because most of us these days are like thinking of, of, of crocodiles, there are a lot of, you know, beasts and, and, and deadly creatures. But the amount of work and projects that I have seen on your website and everything is beyond words. It's, it's just amazing how what you're doing to save the, 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 the animals here. And, and before we get to those projects, which we get, uh, get uh, to soon, um, Dr. Maria and Ali, what is your best experience around crocodiles? Like, what what do you think that okay, some people's like, what do you think you know? It's their like, uh, let's say, what do you think like the way you look at crocodiles and other people's don't? Um, oh man, I feel like this can go all day. Um, <laughs> so I think something that is amazing about crocodiles is one, it's kind of mother nature's perfect animal. You know, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yes, crocodiles have evolved for the last 80 to 200 million years. There used to be bipedal crocodilians. There are crocodilian morphs, as well as some that almost looks like dolphins. However, the crocodiles that we see here today, there are still some similar morphological characteristics to their ancestors millions of years ago. And in regards to their position in the ecosystem as well as just some of their unique adaptations you look at ancient civilizations such as the egyptians as well as the maya and they didn't necessarily fear these particular animals they had a particular respect for them they revered them they saw this unique animal and they found strength in it and one thing that is really interesting is you know, today, here where we live in Belize, where there used to be millions of, peop millions of, uh, of people from the Maya 
origin and the Maya civilization. And they seem to know how to coexist with the animals, more so than what we experience here today. And nowadays we see these animals more as a symbol of death, but back with the Maya, they saw them as a symbol of life, of fertility, um, because of crocodiles constantly being in the water and water is a symbol of life. And in regards to that, that built this unique cultural and spiritual connection with them. And so that's something I, I, I respect these animals for what they are for their ecological role in the environment. But I also pulled a lot to the side of the cultural connection that these animals had with uh, various ancient civilizations, but also a lot of indigenous communities today around the world. Now, I think I'm going to ask you a very hard question. <laughs> Because if someone would ask me that question, I would be pretty in, 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 in much, you know, I'm, I'm not got that much of a research, you know, background. I'm just in grade 10 and I'm 16 years old, but I've been researching on animals and plants for the past six years. And some of my specimens are behind that. So, so um, um, Dr. Mari, within, within all these years, you said 15 years, if I'm correct, of, of research on, what was your best experience you had? My best experience? Uh... Just one. I'm <laughs> like, uh, um, how about probably one that really got my adrenaline going? I wouldn't say it's the best experience because I've had so many amazing experiences. Um, oh wait, I do have a great experience. Never mind. I'll, I'll, I'll keep the adrenaline one for the, for another time. So one of my, it, it, it's going to start as a sad story. So this past August, um, we, one of the crocodiles here in the Placencia Lagoon was poached. And this was an animal that was starting to connect with the sound of my voice as well as the boat, knowing that if I'm, I'm not threatening, I'm not here to, to hurt it, to harass it. Uh, we have a youth wildlife program known as Next Gen Croc. And so this was a great experience for some of these kids who have never seen a crocodile before in their life. This large eight foot American crocodile allowed us to get very close on the boat. And in the Placencia Lagoon through our community science program, we have built a lot of interest and respect for the crocodiles in our lagoon. And so this animal was poached. Um, due to the pandemic around the world, a lot of, there's been a, an increase of illegal hunting. So, you know, this was, this was crushing. When I, when the police called me to say, Marissa, we just caught these guys and they're skinning a, a crocodile. Can you please come over here and just, you know, for the, for the documentation for our records and everything. And so of course it was gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching. And, but out of this, you know, very sad experience. And again, knowing this crocodile and have building a relationship with it for the last couple of years was it, the, the news about this crocodile being poached spread throughout the community, throughout the peninsula. And people were messaging me, Marissa, don't tell me it's Charlie. Please don't tell me it's Jeff because people have their own neighborhood crocs. People were so concerned. Uh, I found out the community where the, the, where the poachers were from, you know, kids were like, how can they be poaching crocodiles or killing crocodiles? Don't they know they're protected? We need our crocodiles, you know, and they're teaching adults. And it was, 
it was such an amazing experience because it just illustrated everything that we have done the last four to five years and really pushing um, the educational outreach here on the peninsula, trying to build an interest, trying to take away fear, but bringing in respect. It worked so I mean, I was flooded with messages. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I can't believe this happened. And someone had mentioned to me too, they said, Marissa, if it wasn't for, if this happened seven years ago, eight years ago, before CRC was here on the peninsula, the police would have just, eh, whatever, it's a crocodile. But they had mentioned to see how the police responded, arrested, and took these men to jail, how the whole peninsula, you know, despite background and, um, and where they came from, people so concerned. And he, to hear the kids talking about, you know, this is wrong and educating those adults that didn't know about it. It was, despite this negative experience, it, it just illustrated the, the, positive, um, the positive influence in regards to building that bridge between nature and man, what we're doing here. And so that made me feel really good and just kind of knowing, hey, the whatever we're doing, the equation that we're working out, trying to build an interest in crocodilians and building coexistence, it's working. And so again, it, it was a very sad experience, but looking at the positive, just again, it just, it really gave me that little extra boost to continue what we are doing here at the CRC. What uh, Dr. Maria and Ellie as well, um, what do you think that um, is, is, is the main factor that is, you know, driving the crocodiles towards decline? That is, you know, dragging them to a decline. You're seeing it here. Yeah, um, habitat loss is a huge problem here in Belize. So we've just started doing a little research project that looked into vegetation cover and how it's changing where we are on the peninsula. Um, and actually it shows that it's reduced quite a lot um, and it's mostly due to development, foreign development, um, building, all of that kind of thing, coastal development and the removal of the mangroves. So as soon as you take out those mangroves, we lose all of the prey species for the crocodiles. We lose nesting habitat, we lose everything, you know. Um, so particularly here, the, the main issue is uh, habitat loss, yeah. Um, as well as that, like Marissa said, Illegal poaching um, is an issue probably around the world, um, less so here now due to outreach and education. Um, and also other human impacts, so with development comes things like pollution. Pollution is a huge issue for, it moves up the food chain, so as soon as a bottom feeder, say a fish, catfish, is getting it into their system, it magnifies in that like it accumulates in their tissue and it magnifies through the food chain, so if you're sitting at the top a crocodile, you have no chance against pollution. Um, if you're eating 10 fish that all have an amount in them, you're getting all of that and it accumulates in their tissues. Um, and we've seen that through some of the research at the CRC. So for example, can we say, let's say, a place that has crocodiles, that can be a mangrove swamps or whatever, has um, the potential to be a very healthy and fresh river, not all polluted much. Can we, can we say that? Um, so like, sort of saying how the habitat and mangroves, if it's a better environment, it offsets the, the sort of offsets pollution and maybe makes it better. I mean, mangroves have the property where they filter for, uh, salt water. 
um, and they reduce pollutants in it. So yes, more pristine habitats will have less impact on crocodiles from pollution and development, release of sewage, release of um, fertilizers, anything. So agricultural development and development for urbanization and for people both increase pollutants in the water. But obviously if we keep it pristine, there's less chance of pollutants being released. For example, let's say if I see a crocodile somewhere and I, um, will it be that, okay, that's, that's a, a, you know, a, a symbol that the water system and the food, food, food chain or the food web is in healthy conditions? Um, yes and no. So the ancient Maya, um, they would look for crocodiles and when they would see crocodiles they say oh that's a good fishing spot so yes that was in a sense a symbol for fishing but nowadays um because crocs they're losing habitat and they're starting to having to move maybe in the not not the most pristine habitat or not the best crocodile habitat it's not necessarily a symbol of like oh that's a that's a good place um, it might have been that we actually pushed them into that place despite them not really wanting to be there. So it, it really just all depends. Now, one thing that we utilize to assess whether or not that particular ecosystem is healthy is through our capture surveys. And so we capture a crocodile, we, take, we put it on the boat, take it on land, and we do all these various morphological measurements. But with that, we are also doing a health examination. We look at the teeth. If the teeth are gray, a bit brittle, that means that there is an issue of intake with calcium. And that could be a, a, a small red flag of pollutants in the water because certain pollutants will inhibit a crocodile's body in absorbing calcium. So again, little red flag there. We also look at the muscle, you know, is it too hard? Is it too soft? It's um, kind of that Goldilocks uh, paradigm where, you know, again, yes, it can't, the tail can't be too hard because that means it possibly has pansteatitis, which can also be caused by pollutants or a particular eating a hot, very um, high consumption rate of a particular fish that's very, um, that has a lot of fatty acid in it. It can't be too soft because that could be also in regards of pollutants inhibiting muscle formation. And so it just needs to be just right. <laughs> and then we also look at joints, looking for gout. And we also look at the skin because there is a river in Northern Belize known as New River and it has been highly polluted. And this is a river where there are hundreds of crocs. They, it, this river has recovered from past exploitation, from overhunting. However, the crocs have nowhere to go. And so they're still staying in this very polluted river. But by observing the crocodiles, you can tell that river is not healthy. The crocodiles, the skin is turning white, it's peeling, or despite them constantly being in water, their skin is very dry, they're dehydrated. There's something that they are consuming or intaking that is inhibiting them from, from their body cannot absorb water. And so they are actually slowly dying of dehydration as well. So yes, yeah, so, so it's actually amazing because, uh, so this is, this is the way you can tell if a crocodile is healthy or not. Yes. Yeah, so there's, there's various ways that you can tell. Opening up the mouth, um, you can look for various 
signs of bacteria issue. Also looking at the eyes and the nictating membrane. If the nictating membrane's a, a little too white, a little too red, that is a sign of some bacteria or virus issue as well. So there's various ways to, to determine if the crocodile is healthy, which then is also a indicator of the health of the environment. Now, Dr. Maris, I would like to take you on a small time journey, let's say, as well as any uh, Coleman as well. So, um, this was a question that just came to my mind. Like, if I speak to someone who doesn't have any idea of wildlife, um, and I tell them, would you like to become, let's say, a crocodile biologist or, or someone working in a, cro a crocodile research center? They would say, have you gone mad? Uh, who will do that? I don't want to get eaten. So, so what was actually the main idea that, that you both got interested into, let's say, exploring the secret world of crocodiles? So, so okay, so what got me into all this? Um, I blame this on my father. When I was five years old, I'll try to make the, the whole story short. Uh, when I was five years old, I wanted a Barbie doll or there was these little toys called My Little Pony. And it was Christmas or my birthday and my dad just gave me this flat stack. And I thought, what? That's that's not the toys that I asked for, but it was three books. And one of the books was about sharks. And I fell in love with these apex predators. By the seven years old, I could tell you every shark species, geographic range, their diet, their scientific name. I just fell in love with these apex predators. And then um, my love for apex predators, it got me just, or for sharks, got my interest in, well, I want to learn about other types of predators. And so snakes, crocodiles, alligators, jaguar. And one day I just realized, you know, studying these particular animals, just when you looked at the status, it was endangered, critically endangered. You know, the, the human wildlife conflict was just so much greater than these other animals, such as like, let's say dolphins or pandas, you know, and just so much money was not being contributed to these animals that have way more of an important role in the environment and stabilizing the environment than let's say a panda, you know? And so I just couldn't understand that. And I realized a lot of the conflict was education. And I just, I, I wanted to be an advocate for these animals that are demonized, that so many people fear. And from that fear is hatred. And that hatred turns into people, you know, killing them just on the spot. Or harassing them or injuring them and so i just i wanted to be an advocate and i thought i was going to study great white sharks to this day i still want to study great white sharks or i want to go out there with with the great white shark researcher and it was when i was about 15 years old i was in high school and some girls came to my locker and they said marissa there is this everyone knew i wanted to work with wildlife and so they came to me and they're like, there's this crazy Australian dude and he is out catching crocodiles and he's trying to save the crocodiles from extinction and he's trying to make people love them. And I was like, oh, I, you know, I'll, I want to see this show. I want to see who this guy is. And I watched a show of Steve Irwin and his love and his passion for crocodiles, it kind of just transcended into me. And I was like, that's the animal I'm going to study and be an advocate for. I'm going to work with crocodiles. And I didn't quite know what to do at that point. I kind of always wanted my own organization, Wildlife Sanctuary. That's something that you can ask my family. And I went to college. I double majored in zoology and cultural anthropology. 
I have always been fascinated about the relationship between people and nature. And I very much have felt the last few centuries, <clears throat> excuse me, that we have, that bridge between nature and man has fallen apart. And I wanted to be a catalyst in trying to build that bridge or building some type of balance and just building that reconnection. And so for, with that, it's, it's understanding communities, you know, understanding the history to understand where we got, where we got to today to then understand how to move forward in a positive direction for the future. And so, yeah, I just through studies, I came down to Belize, I drank the water, didn't want to leave. <laughs> and um, when I grad, when I got my PhD, I knew I wanted to move into the region and work with crocodilians in conservation and management of their habitat and as well as the species um, here in Central America and the Caribbean. But despite me already working in Belize for several years at that point, I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to make the permanent move here. And one of the reasons why I was looking at other countries in this region is I'm a member of the IUCN Crocodile Specialist Group and I'm the sub-regional chair for Central America and the Caribbean. And I felt if I was gonna have a positive impact, I needed to live in this region. And so I was speaking with the Belize government, the wildlife officer at the time. And I told him, I was like, yeah, you know, got my PhD, I'm gonna make the move. You know, it's, it's my connection with the IUCN that's kind of pushing me to move down here. But, you know, of course, you know, consider Belize. I was looking at Nicaragua as well as Dominican Republic. And the government, the wildlife officer of Belize said, well, why not move here and start your, your organization? You know, you work well with us. Everyone knows who you are. You work well with communities. We could use your expertise as well. So I just kind of, okay. <laughs> and then that's what made me make the permanent move to Belize. And, you know, it was about a year just settling down. And then I finally created the Crocodile Research Coalition. So what, what, about, what about Eliden? Uh, what was your story of getting interested in crocodiles? Um, I think so obviously just fell into it. <laughs> yeah, I literally knew nothing about crocodiles. My only experience was um, seeing Nile crocodiles and being kind of terrified. Um, but I'm so glad I came here because it's kind of the wrong reaction. I should have just been like, wow. Um, so I kind of fell into this doing the community ecology side of things. Um, always enjoyed birds, always liked the kind of management, ecosystem management kind of things. And there was, there was this role that tied it all together and I wasn't sure how involved I was going to be on the crocodile side of things and then I got very involved and I learned so much so I went in not knowing a lot about crocodiles and now I'm like very cool um, so one thing that surprised me massively was just how incredibly intelligent they are and I've said this before as well um, they respond to training like you wouldn't even believe. Uh, we have crocodile ambassadors, we've got Sam, Gilly, Eamon. They've learned how to smile, they come forward for food, they stop if you need them to stop. And they they take it on really, really quickly. And it's they're great to work with. Like, you wouldn't think you could love a little crocodile like a puppy, but I adore Sam and I love feeding Sam. They are fabulous. Um, and when you're out working with them, they're very timid, they're very shy. There's, there's just, 
especially in this region, no need to be scared of them because they do tend to stay away unless impacted by people. Um, and I've really enjoyed it. Like, it's just such a, I think crocodile research trickles down to so many different areas because you've got to protect areas to protect them, which leads to sort of protection of everything else. And that's the kind of stuff that I am into. So yeah, crocodile research is, is pretty cool niche to fall into and I've really enjoyed it. Both with an amazing, inspirational, you know, uh, you know, sort of story, and I think for Aries it was uh, the sort of fear to love. I think it's the sort of thing. So uh, while going through your website, I, I came across um, meeting your captive cro uh, crocs, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll just do a guess. I think so. Usually in research, uh, you know, uh, coalitions or research organizations, what happens is they only keep the animals when it's unable to return to Dubai. If I'm correct, correct. and uh, so. What was the story between um, you know behind Rick, uh, Eamon, Gilly, Sam, and Mad Max? <laughs> All right, so Rick, Rick, um, and I have a let's see, can I can you see that? I have Rick Crocodile, Rick Crocodile Research Coalition. He is our first crocodile ambassador we ever had. Um, Rick was found on the street struggling on on the street here in, Pen in Placentia Peninsula he was struggling to cross and he was highly emaciated and the police caught him and called us up and said there's a sick crocodile can you please come get it and rehab it and we long story short we realized that Rick was someone's pet and they took very poor care of him his eyesight, um, he had poor eyesight, and he also had a curved spine, and most likely, because we do, we have heard stories where people catch crocodiles here and keep them as pets, and they just pretty much keep them in the same enclosure. And so most likely, and speaking with some vets because of how his spine was fused um, and calcified, he most likely was kept in the same enclosure for five years and to make space he just started to curve his spine and so this started to to impede his health so unfortunately we had to put rick down he had to go to the big crock pool in the sky just because his issues um, were starting to hinder his ability to breathe properly as well as eat and we loved rick so much that we we couldn't see him suffer anymore but he continues to educate people as we do use his skull for educational purposes. Uh, Eamon came to us, Maester Eamon, he is completely blind. And he was blind by, you could see the scar, but most likely someone got a machete or an ax and chopped at his head. And crocodiles use various sense uh, senses to be able to predate they have their isos integumentary sensory organs all over the body to be able to detect vibration from fish in the water they have a great sense of smell there's also something known as gullar pulping where they you can see crocodiles it's mainly alligators that do this but they open their mouth up and down in the water and it's like they're tasting the water almost can i taste maybe something rotting in the water um, or is there an injured you know fish or, or another animal so they're kind of tasting the water but they also utilize their eyes a lot and people don't realize that you know with a blind crocodile they might not be able to successfully predate and so Amen was found in a resort pool highly emaciated he was about 
2.2 meters and um, maybe, oh, I can't remember kilograms, but he was skin and bones. And so I, I spoke with vets, like he still had enough life in him that we could, we, we could rehabilitate him. And when it came very clear that he was completely blind and he was gonna need help for the rest of his life in regards to feeding, I asked forest department, may we take this animal in as an educational animal? Cause he has an important story to tell, you know, someone chopped at his head out of fear and most likely he was just being a being a crocodile but again we have all this false fear and people just see a predator and they just want to kill so they allowed amen to come to us and as ellie was talking about earlier we do target train him and so it took almost six to eight months for amen to finally show his head out of the water he was so scared of people and to this day there are certain truck noises there are certain men voices. Uh, if he hears those sounds, I will not see him for three weeks. This is a crocodile that has post-traumatic syndrome, like he PTSD. Um, he is still very timid. He won't come completely out of the water, but I'm working with it. And right now I am the only one that he trusts. Um, but I do target train him. I use clicker training. I use sounds and stuff so he knows where the food is and he's able to eat it. Now our other ambassadors, we have Gilly, Sam, and then the turtle, the infamous turtle known as Mad Max. So um, there was a, a couple that actually helped start the Belize Zoo over 30 years ago, almost 40 years ago. And they had a big pond and one day they noticed there was a turtle. And then later on they noticed there was two crocodiles. That is when we in a sense adopted Gilly, Sam, and Mad Max. Now, Gilly and Sam, they were highly obese. Like, it was, they could, they were waddling in the water, like when they were swimming. Like, they were so obese because they were just constant, they were overfed, like beyond overfed. And I, I told the, the wife, I was like, I might not be able to move these animals for two years. Like, that's how fat they were. <laughs> and so eventually, you know, they slimmed down. We were able to make the enclosures for them here. And we just moved down these animals to the CRC facility this past November. Um, if you look at our social media, at our YouTube, I have, there's all these great videos of us interacting at their old home. Uh, they would hear my voice and just come out of the water. However, you have to understand, and this happens to people when they move crocodiles and stuff, we pretty much kidnapped them of their only home and put them somewhere else. So Gilly, who used to run when he would hear my voice, cause he knew he was gonna get fed. Anytime he hears my voice now, he's in the water. Like he is so upset, so angry. I built a trust with him for the last three years and I pretty much broke that trust by capturing him and moving him to this other place. Sam, just started coming out and working with us what the last month maybe she's fine now we had to separate the two because we realized that despite gilly and sam living with each other they're male and female despite them being partners it was a situation where they were tolerant of each other but they did not like each other and towards those last couple of months gilly who is actually the male would prevent sam from getting in the water was stealing her food 
it just was not a great place. And so in our facility now, they are separated and Sam seems more relaxed and her interacting with us, I've never seen that before when it was the two of them together. So I think she prefers being a bachelorette right now. Mad Max, the turtle that steals food from the crocodiles, bites at the crocodiles face to get their food. Um, I think it took her three days and then she was fine with us. She, <laughs> she does kind of like, anytime we're target training with her, she'll take the food and run back into the water. But overall she's, she's fine. She, and she is the queen of the enclosure. Like even when it was all three of them together, she was the ruler of that, of that um, particular um, uh, enclosure. Exactly. I wouldn't myself dare to, you know, take uh, food uh, from a crocodile even with long forceps. <laughs> but then um, it is pretty sad hearing about Eamon and, and, and Rick as well. So, of course, whenever I am contacting my friends or, 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 or relatives and they say, I want a pet. I said, you, you get a common pet. Don't get exotic animals. And, and I think, you, what, what do you think? Like, do people need to get like crocodiles as pets? Because we don't know how big they're going to get and then we're going to leave them in the wild. Or is it better? I, th I think it's better to, you know, go and see them in the wild rather than having them as pets. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. People don't realize that how difficult it is to keep a healthy crocodile and the type of enclosure that they need to ensure their mental and physical health. Um, one thing, you know, coming from the States, and I know in Europe, there is that culture of having exotic pets as well, like whether it be snakes, birds, crocodiles. And I had a student from Europe uh, about a year ago, and he made a really good point. He was like, Marissa, the reason we have, we're so into having exotic pets in these type of countries is because we destroyed everything that we have. We don't have wildlife. This is the only way we can connect to wildlife. <clears throat> excuse me and he's like because here in belize it's illegal to have wildlife as pets but we don't really need to have them as pets they're all around us and so it is it is really interesting when when he made that point he's like i he's like if there were if we still had you know some of our native wildlife roaming around he's like maybe people wouldn't be so big into having exotics as pets here because you're just seeing them in nature and he was just like i i hope the lease and the rest of the region continue to see that you know the ant it's it's more exciting to see the wildlife in the wild at their at, at their true nature than in a home you know almost as a circus animal so i've learned a lot here like for me it's yeah there's there's no need to have wildlife as pets because you are most people the majority of people i would say 99 percent of people will not be able to give the the best life of that animal because they don't have the time and they don't have the resources um it's not like dogs and cats that we have domesticated for thousands of years and so it is if you truly love snakes if you truly love cats i know african servals are also um an exotic pet that people seek out if you truly love those animals do the best for them and let them stay in the wild so dr Marissa, i was asking over the past 15 years of, of your you being in the field from from let's say 
the first time you saw crocodilians. Has there been a decline in the past 15 years or you think that, let's say, that people are understanding more about their importance and they are a bit rising than usual or they are still in under decline? Oh, it, so here in Belize, I, I have seen an increase in interest. I would say that, for, well, from our studies, there has been an increase in the crocodile population since past exploitation. So even since the 1990s, we have seen the crocodile population expanding, um, at least with the Morelets crocodile, because we have two species here in Belize, the Morelets crocodile and the American crocodile. The American crocodile, we are just about to initiate that population survey. I am concerned for this particular species because this species is the species you find along the coast, along the Keys. They prefer sandy beaches for nesting and all that prime nesting habitat is just being destroyed. And, you know, this morning at six o'clock in the morning, Belize time, um, but the, the one thing I do admire about Belizean environmentalists is environmental issues is a 24-7 thing. And sometimes I get, I'm getting messages at 5.30 in the morning, sometimes at 11.30 at night of people trying to find solutions to a problem. And this morning, for example, I received a message that a new cruise ship for got approved by our government and it is going to destroy one of the prime habitats for the critically endangered Antillean manatee as well as the American crocodile. And this leaves the Placencia Lagoon where we're at probably like the last pristine habitat for both of these species here in Belize. And so that is gonna to have to push us, that's gonna to have to really accelerate our efforts in trying to establish the Placencia Lagoon as, as a wildlife sanctuary. Um, now, in the rest of the region, I mean, some places you see the crocodiles, the habit, the, the population increasing, others are still struggling. Um, I've been, I went to Jamaica this past December and January to assist in some of the crocodile work out there, led by Treya Picking. She is a fantastic young woman that is leading crocodile conservation and management in Jamaica. And, you know, there are... It is something where it doesn't seem like the crocodile population is necessarily expanding there. Maybe it hasn't really changed in the last decade or it's decreasing. But this is something that Treya is currently working on. And again, you see that throughout the whole region. And this particular region, the main thing that is the main threat for crocodiles, as well as a lot of habitat here, is just overdevelopment. There's no such thing as sustainable development right now. And a lot of it is because of the push and the money that's coming from foreign investment. Now, uh, Dr. Mason, what do you think of, uh, like, uh, you do, of course, many projects. I've gone through each and every single one of them and it's amazing. So, so what, what do you think, of course, is, is the, I think so, of course, first comes understanding of the natural world before we, you know, learn how, what we, because if you don't understand, we don't know what to care about but, uh, and what to save. So what are the top projects that you're working on that truly have a lot of impact on, on saving the crocodiles from the decline? Well, what Ellie is working on, which is the biodiversity surveys, which you can talk about. Yeah, so at the moment, for the last four years, the CLC has been carrying out biodiversity surveys of the entire Placentia Lagoon. So we've got 10 sites around the entire bank. Um, 
but we also carry out terrestrial surveys on a shrimp farm known as Belize Aquaculture, just to see what's about and, and, and demonstrate how important this, this lagoon is. So in our yearly biodiversity reports, we've seen jaguars, we've seen white-tailed deer on the camera traps, um, a whole range of species and it's obvious that the banks of the Placentia Lagoon, at least on the western side, so there's sort of a peninsula which is where most of the development is and then the western side which is a little bit more, um, a little bit more pristine, it's kind of shown how important it is as a wildlife corridor. Um, and then saying how, how important it is for wildlife kind of means if it gets protected then it trickles down to crocodiles, fish, mangroves. Um, and highlighting this as well, it's really important working with the community because everyone here knows that they rely on mangroves for fishing and everyone here knows that they rely on the coral reef, for example, for fishing offshore. And they're very much involved. We have a lot of local volunteers that come. And again, the same way as we're spreading education about crocodiles, we're spreading education about birds as well. Um, birds are a really good indicator species. So we've got four years worth of bird population studies um, which can summarise what's happening specifically in different areas of the lagoon. So we saw that, for example, in one of our most developed sites, there's an influx of urban specialised birds and they're pushing out all of the other birds. And we can say that pretty much with confidence and say how development is affecting them. Um, as well, part of my job is looking at parasites. So we look at parasites and snails because the presence of parasites is a really good indicator of the health of the lagoon, the lagoon and they're really sensitive to environmental change so the same sort of thing as pollution so using those as indicators can show how the health of the lagoon and the quality of the water has changed over time as well uh, so this is like an all-encompassing project that crocodiles are sort of a side thing for but because it contributes towards this multifaceted attempt to get this place protected it means that we keep this habitat for the Antillean manatee that everyone knows about and the crocodile that everyone knows about, um, promoting it for the species that people sort of maybe don't think about as being present on, present on the area surrounding the lagoon is really important. So, so apart from, from that, what about the project? I think there was a project of yours called Education, Educate. So what do you do exactly do in that as well? So in regards of... <laughs> I would almost say in regards of like research, yes, we have to understand the species to maybe identify the best plan of action to protect the species. But one thing that's also just as important, maybe even more important, and I'm starting to feel it is more important, is education. People forget that conservation is not just about wildlife, it is about people. The success of any conservation program is going to parallel the support as well as the education of the local communities that are living alongside the wildlife. So we can be doing all this particular research, getting all this great data, but then you still have the community, let's say, killing the crocodiles out of fear or killing the crocodiles to sell the meat in the skin. And so what's all your research about if these people don't can't identify the importance of these animals or don't care about these animals? And this is why going into communities and educating them, you know, building relationships is so important. So in regards of our education, pre-COVID, we were probably going out to schools or community events maybe once a week, if that. Obviously, our social media, you know, putting something on social media daily. Here in Belize, Facebook is really big. This is how everyone gets their news. And so there's all these different 
Facebook pages. And so we make sure, depending on what that post is for the day, we're sharing it to the various Facebook groups. Um, and we also were contributing a lot to the newspapers, going on morning shows multiple times a year because you just can't go into, for example, here in the peninsula, we have three schools. And for me, it's like, you can't just go into a school, can, you know, do an educational presentation. It's like, all right, see you in five years. All that's gonna be forgotten. We have to constantly educate. And so again, pre-COVID, we were going to each school maybe three times a year. You know, where I'm walking down the street and it's like, hey, crack lady, hi, Dr. Tez. You know, it, it, you start, they start seeing faces. And with that though, now you have the kids becoming their own little advocates because, hey, I know someone that fed a crocodile. Hey, I know someone that has an illegal parrot because they start realizing it's illegal. And also they start caring for the animals. They, they see that that bird in that cage is not happy and living an unhappy life and they want to help it. You know, they realize that that person feeding that crocodile, that is not just a danger to that person. They're creating a danger to the community with that crocodile being habituated. And so now during these COVID times, I didn't find it as an excuse like, oh, we can't educate anymore. No, we just have to figure out other ways of, of educating. And so our program coordinator, Darcy, she contacted, we just con concentrated on Placencia Lagoon area. She contacted all the schools around Placencia Lagoon um, as in all the schools, they had WhatsApp groups, Facebook groups, and she was sending out educational material. Then she was send, doing virtual Zoom presentations for all the, all the students, sometimes twice a week to various schools. Schools started to hear about this across the country. Next thing you know, Darcy is giving Zoom presentations to schools all the way up north in, uh, in Northern Belize. And so there were ways for us to continue education because again, we just want to make sure it's continuous um, also, if there is any type of human wildlife conflict, by getting our name out there, instead of someone going out and dealing with an animal itself, they said, wait a minute, I remember about the CRC, let's contact them to maybe safely remove the animal or let's get their advice of what we should do. And so that's been something that's been really important and I, I really push the education. Um, and also just not about respecting the wildlife, but why we need to respect the habitat as well. And that all of us are tied together. If we destroy the mangrove, not only is that affecting the wildlife, that is affecting us. So many of us depend on healthy mangrove for our livelihoods, whether it's for fishing, whether it's utilizing the mangrove for, for wood or for medicinal purposes. Also, mangrove are the nurseries for the fish. If there's no more nurseries for fish, well, guess what? There's not gonna be any fish at the coral reef. The coral reef is eventually gonna die. And so it's trying to also just educate more about the long-term effects, just not the short-term gain. Exactly, uh, Marisa, I cannot agree more because we have got the web of life, which connects us all in this web and including, you know, human beings are somewhat in the corner, but without us, of course, nature will try. So Dr. Marisa and Ellie as well, what do you think are the threats that crocodiles faces like what are the main threats that crocodiles faces and what is their importance to us as well as the ecosystem that they live in uh sort of going into a little bit before like obviously habitat degradation is the biggest one 
poaching, pollution, um, demonization as well. Um, I know like here we're especially lucky, so compared to, sorry, so sort of compared to Africa and Australia, the crocodiles we have don't ever get involved with people unless people start feeding them. And one thing that I think that we haven't covered is um, trash and litter and plastic. So a lot of croc like crocodiles are great at adapting. So even with the reduction in habitat, they adapt to a more urbanized environment, but it means that they're eating things that they shouldn't be and then in turn getting ill. Um, this is especially some of the crocodiles that we rescue up north, up in the city. A lot of them have trash found in their stomachs. Um, sometimes we recently had a crocodile that had a fishing hook inside of it and it took four months of rehab after that fishing hook was taken out before it could be released. Um, so litter is a huge thing that, that people don't really think about. They think about sort of the marine environment, but also the animals as well. Um, and it, when we get a message about sort of a problem croc, it isn't usually the croc that's the problem. They've become problematic because people are feeding them. Um, and that's when conflict happens. So, and that's when the threats to the crocodiles become more of a problem. So when people start feeding them, they start relying on, on, on people and they start coming closer and then people get a little bit nervous. Uh, we have a rehabilitation program, which means if a crocodile is starting to get too close to urban environments, we can take that crocodile, um, we can abduct it and it becomes scared of people for pretty much the rest of its life. Um, and actually we've got a rehab croc at the moment and we're going to put a satellite tracker on it to see how well our rehab methods have worked and how scared of people it's got, which sounds really mean. So pick it, like getting catching that croc, putting the tracker on it should traumatize it enough yeah. for it to stay away from people. And then we'll use the satellite tracker to see how well that's done and whether it tends to steer away. Um, so it comes from, I mean, most of the issues stem from interaction with people as opposed to just the crocodile itself, um, as well as environmental issues such as habitat degradation, pollution and uh, litter. So okay, Marisa, what do you think, you know, that I or, or, or anyone in the audience, what can we do as individuals to, to help save crocodiles, their habitats and indeed the, 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 their majesty and everything of that? I don't, what do you think? Um, I think if you're in, I think promote everything is the biggest thing. So obviously some of your listeners might be in the West, up, up North, anywhere, but we don't have any crocodiles at all. Engaging with crocodile conservation is exceptionally important. And if you're interested, sharing things, looking into groups, finding out about the research. Um, if you're from a conservation background, volunteering, giving your time to those kind of organizations that do work with crocodiles around the world. Um, and if you're in an area where there are crocodiles, take what you've heard on board and maybe spread awareness. If you see someone being like, oh, scary crocodile, maybe I'll murder it or chop it with a machete, just have the confidence to be like, no, that's not cool. Um, so really just have a voice for these crocodiles, tell, tell everyone about actually, there's a lot of misconceptions about them and engage with crocodile conservationists and the research that we're carrying out is very, very important. Um, and where you can, supporting organizations such as the Crocodile Research Coalition. So um, there's two aspects in regards of, of what you um, have asked. So one is, you know, why, why are these animals getting poached? Some of it is for these ancient medicinal purposes. 
Another is, oh, I have this rhino horn that shows I have so much money. Um, you know, one, a lot of these ancient medicinal medicines, they don't do anything, you know? And it's educating people that this is, this is not gonna cure cancer. This is not gonna cure your arthritis. And it's educating people about that. And also it's changing that culture where having all this, all these animal parts where, yeah, maybe over a century, two centuries ago, whatever, in the past, that did illustrate status. But you know what? We're changing times and that's actually, that's, you know, I have no respect for that. And so just trying to change that culture where having animal parts does not make you seem like you're an aristocrat um, per se. Uh, the other thing in regards of coaching is we have to also understand is a lot of these people that are actually doing the illegal hunting, they're just looking for a source of income. You know, for whatever reason in their particular area, whether it's the national government, the local government, there's just no source of income. And you have those that are heading these illegal black markets that are taking advantage of these people and saying, well, I can make a lot of money on pangolin scales, but I don't personally want to go in because then if I get caught, I'm the one to get thrown in jail, but I'm going to pay these people very small money because I mean, you know, if they get caught, it's whatever, they're not important to me. And so that's something that we have to think about is just that, again, the people that are actually conducting the legal wildlife trade, those that are on the ground, they don't want to do that. So where can we figure out a solution to find another source of income for these people? Maybe tourism, possibly. I know tourism is not, tourism's not the only answer. Look what happened with COVID. You know, all those particular national parks or, play, or people that depended on ecotourism, they went hurting this past year and financially. And so, but trying to find another source of income for these people because if they find a more sustainable source of income and also educated about these particular animals they're less likely to agree to go hunt those particular animals um and so again it's education but also trying to find another source of income for those people so um ellie and marisa what is your main message to the audience here what is the message that you have good for all of us? I think it's probably, you know, um, like I said before, just like advocacy, education creates advocacy and it means that more people have a voice and it means you're more likely to get listened to. Um, if you care about the environment, if you care about, you know, underrated species such as sharks and crocodiles, which are feeling the brunt of, of uh, the expansion of the human population um get involved care about it whether you're from a conservation background or not it's definitely something you can engage with um even if it's so much as sharing a post on social media i think take away as well that crocodiles are awesome um they're definitely especially in central america nothing really to be afraid of um and if you have the opportunity go on a trip where you can go and see them and appreciate that actually there are our closest link to the dinosaurs that we pretty much all love i think um and just they are incredible um take away that they are 
the perfect animal um, and we can probably learn a lot from them to be honest in terms of adaptability and, and growing the environment that we're part of. I feel like she kind of nailed a lot of that. I don't know what else to add. Um, you know, I, I, so I am a, a mom of a five-year-old and I am of, part of my culture is Apache Native American and something that was passed down to me is, you know, we are, we did not take this land from our ancestors, we're borrowing it from our children. And so the actions that I take the, the mission, my passion in regards to building that bridge is to ensure that there is a better future for the next generation. I want my child to be able to go in the lagoon and see a manatee come up with its nose. I want her to be able to see the toucans and the parrots. I want her to be able to see crocodiles basking, her being able to go fishing off the coral reef and so on and so on and being able to see a world um, that's full of nature. And so that's, I feel a lot of times we get a lot of, we get self-absorbed, especially with like technology and social media and forget how sometimes our small actions will have a big impact. And so it's just trying to be as conscious as possible and trying to see what you can do to make a positive impact into this world, especially when it comes to building that bridge between nature and communities and um so that's that you know that, that's kind of my almost like little takeaway is you know you you can make a, a big impact for your life right now but also for the next generation just small things um you know take instead of using a plastic bag take your own bag you know reusable straws um supporting wildlife organizations so you know educating obtaining what you've learned let's say during this whole session and educating others about the truth about crocodiles so that would be my main takeaway and for all of you out there um crc we have various social media outlets instagram twitter facebook youtube TikTok. so please follow us support us um i'm on instagram as well croc parasites 13 ellie's on instagram as we do, you know, post separate stuff of our work on our own social media outlets. So that's another way just to kind of continue the support of the work that we're doing here in Placencia Lagoon. Exactly. So today, what did we learn? We, we, we synced our teeth to the crocodile um, conservation. And as well as, yeah, I, I will include all the social media links and YouTube uh, in the description below. So you can, you know, take a look and join the CRC in helping these magnificent creatures. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Mesa and Ellie Coleman. Um, Nature Talks, we're learning turns to conservation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us.